Good morning, everyone. Let us pray to God that we may be free of God. <laughs> Hold on to your hats, folks. We're doing theology this morning. <laughs> so that's a quotation from Meister Eckhart. He's a 13th century German mystic who managed not to be killed for his mystical teachings by conveniently dying first, right? <laughs> Eckhart's views on God were not what you might call mainstream for his day. Here are a few more of the many statements that got him just that close to the Inquisition fires. Whatever Holy Scripture says about Christ, all of that is also true of the good and divine human. All creatures are one pure nothing. I do not say that they are a little something or anything, but that they are pure nothing. And my personal favorite, God is not good or he could do better. <laughs> when Eckhart made these statements that sounded totally blasphemous to so many pious ears, he was simply speaking from the depths of his very profound, apophatic theology. Now let's talk about what that means. I imagine most of you in this room, like me, grew up with some conception of God. Maybe God the stern judge, maybe God the loving father, God the master of the universe. It could be any of these, all of these, something totally different. And at some point in your spiritual journey, you've probably revised or transformed or entirely rejected these ideas of God, right? And of maybe whether there is even a God. But apophatic theology asks you not to revise or transform, but to entirely go beyond these ideas and definitions into a space of unknowing. You use unknowing, very uncomfortable. <laughs> In essence, apophatic theology takes all concepts we have to describe the divine, like good, just, loving, whatever, and says, well, okay, but the divine is bigger than that. What else you got? It leads us to the point where our words and concepts break down, where we have to begin to speak about what God is not. God is not simply good, because good is a human construct and therefore too limiting for a limitless being, right? But God's not evil, right? So what's left? God either encompasses both good and evil or exists outside of good and evil. Right? So we're left in this process of what's called apophasis, unsaying, until words fall apart and we end up in silence. Okay, so to be consistent, what I should really do right now is lead us all in a 15-minute silent meditation on the unsayability of the divine. Is that okay with everybody? 
Okay, but like most ministers, I'm going to keep talking, <laughs> even though silence is ultimately what's called for. Right. So Meister Eckhart was praying to God to be free of God. He was praying to end up in that silence. He knew that the God he could come up with in his imagination was just that, the God of his imagination, right? Not the real God that is ever beyond the scope of his limited human imagination. As Augustine had put it almost a thousand years before Meister Eckhart, si comprendes non est Deus. If you understand it, it isn't God. And I've always had the same thought about the universe as a whole. If the human brain can come up with a conception of it, it can't be complete, right? The universe is really big. How many of us have had to revise or transform or leave behind altogether ideas about God because we understood it and it was too little, too limiting, sometimes too scary, or altogether too awful for us to accept. How many of us have intuited some kind of apophatic theology in rejecting limited, limiting visions of the divine? How many of us have needed some kind of apophatic theology so that we could live more freely? Apophatic theology may seem kind of esoteric and mystical, and on the one hand, it can be. On the other, though, it keeps us from making idols. It tells us that anything we can come up with, things like law, or love, or social justice, or even God, is ultimately not God, not the divine, not the real that Gandhi talked about when he quoted one of the Upanishads saying, lead me from the unreal to the real. Right? We value these things, love, social justice, and all the rest, and we should value them. But if we put eternal emphasis upon them, then we create idols out of them. We give worship to what we have created or what we value. We make gods out of what is not God. This apophatic idea of moving into the unknown, of moving from speech into silence, is paralleled with a vision of God as darkness. Fourth century pseudo-Dionysius, known as the father of Christian mysticism, referred to God as the divine darkness. I've always loved that. Third century theologian Gregory of Nyssa called God the luminous darkness. Isn't that a beautiful phrase, the luminous darkness? Let me take just a moment to Think about how that flips on its head the whole ideas of light and dark that are so prevalent in our culture that says light is good and dark is bad, right? What does that do to race relations? Hmm. With the traditional metaphor of God as light, the idea is that everything is known and seen. But the whole point of apophatic theology 
is to remind us that in the divine, everything can't be known and seen. And that for this, darkness is the appropriate metaphor. One of the amazing things about darkness is that it holds everything. Light casts a circle and creates shadows. But darkness encompasses all. Right? If we have this apophatic image of God as luminous darkness, we have to ask, what does that mean for humans? If instead of a loving or wise or stern God watching over us, instead we are enfolded into incomprehensible divinity. Can we relate to this divine? When we start with an unfathomable God and move to that Judeo-Christian concept of humans as being made in the image of God, we end up with the image of humans as also ultimately unfathomable. Interesting move, right? We are unfathomable. So with thousands of years of written history behind us, billions of books and articles about every imaginable subject on humanity, and your own lifetime of thinking about your own lifetime, you may feel pretty darn fathomable at this point. Still, let's see what apophatic anthropology thinking about humans, what apathetic anthropology has to say about all this. Just as God's incomprehensibility means that God can't be reduced to fit within the limitations of human thought, so too humans are ultimately irreducible to human thought. We can think about ourselves, just like we can think about God and manatees and caterpillars and mosquitoes and everything else. And we can come up with all sorts of weird and wonderful ideas, but we cannot be reduced to these thoughts, cannot be contained within them. If we are made in the image of God, then we participate in the incomprehensibility of the divine the irreducibility of the divine. Human worth cannot be measured out, no matter how big a measuring tape we get. This means that every human being has infinite worth and dignity. Sound familiar, you use? Yeah. If humans participate in the irreducibility of the divine, this also means that there's no separation between the human and the divine. The human and the divine are completely enmeshed. Now that took a turn into the mystical you weren't expecting right there, huh? All this talk of incomprehensibility can make the divine seem utterly transcendent, really far removed from the human realm and human concerns, but instead the opposite is true. The unfathomable divine is omnipresent, not capturable by the limited intellect, but
but available for humans to experience everywhere in a multitude of ways that don't seek to limit it, in wonder, in love, in mystical union. So let's go back to the beginning statement from Meister Eckhart. Let us pray to God that we may be freed of God. We understand it a little more now, what it means about God, what it means about us as humans. Now let's think about what it means about living in the world. How people think about God and think about humans has a big impact on how they think about living in the world. So we're gonna call recent governmental acts limiting the rights of trans adults and children to medical care, Exhibit A. Because we all know that there's nothing but a religious belief behind those recent governmental acts, right? Exhibit A. And Exhibit A could be followed by Exhibits B, C, D, and millions of times around the alphabet, showing things that both harm and things that help. All of those beliefs coming from religious aspects, religious thoughts. Our UU values and actions are shaped by what we believe the divine to be or not be, what we believe people to be or not be. So Eckhart's statement about God that is necessary to be free of, the idol that it is necessary to be free of, is radically important. From the standpoint of apophatic theology, all statements about God must ultimately be unsaid as too limiting. Unsaid as too limiting. If we unsay statements about God's wrath, and God's judgment, if we unsay those from every religious environment across religious traditions, recognizing that they are all limiting, we are left bereft of any sort of divine basis for judging people for who they are. Right? All we're left with is radical acceptance on the one hand, or the acknowledgement that our biases are simply our biases on the other. No God left anywhere in there. The luminous darkness holds all, and all humans in the beauty, beauty of their diversity are held within it. They're not reduced because they are not reducible. What makes each person unique is part of their irreducibility. Feminist theologian Beverly Lanzetta takes this notion and runs with it. She sees it as a call to the demarginalization of humans and the human experience. She writes of this apophasis, this unsaying, this deconstruction, that it is needed to free the human soul from the internalized wounds of biased gender identity so that the incomprehensible divine may be encountered within the embodied self, within who we are, in our bodies, in our human beingness. As she writes, this also gives rise to a contemplative ethic, 
that brings us into deep association with creation, tears down the walls of segregation and exclusion, opens our heart to the mysterious patterning of life's wholeness, and teaches us not to turn away from suffering and pain. We live in the middle of all of life with this contemplative ethic. Or to put it another way, when we take the lens of apophatic theology and anthropology and look around us, we realize that we cannot make a better world because the world is too vast and irreducible. But we can make the world better, whatever part of the world we act within, with our unsaying of the harm that has been said. In the divine darkness, we are all related to everything that is beyond our control. And this connection gives us reason and space to continue to unsay that harm, to go beyond. Finally, friends, I'd like to offer this. When I think about apophatic theology and its recognition that we must go beyond limits of language and of reason in order to experience the divine, I come back to this mantra that's at the end of the Buddhist Heart Sutra. Gate, gate, para gate, para samgate bodhisoha. This is translated by the Dalai Lama as go, go, go beyond, go totally beyond to be rooted in the ground of enlightenment. Namaste and Amen.